Coffee and business. Hello there. In today's coffee and business episode, we will talk about what does it take to be a freelancer? Many people desire to become independent in their professional career, mostly starting with freelance work. Nevertheless, the freelancer market is complex and many people fail in their first year. So the questions are how to become successful in being a freelancer. Today, our guest is Kwai Chi, who has a tremendous amount of freelancing experience, created his own company and being a social media guru. Kwai won multiple awards for his extraordinary work and he will elaborate on his challenges, successes and outlook for the future. A warm welcome for Kwai. Hey Kwai, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Very good, very good. Kwai, uh, as I said, the, 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 the topic today is a bit about what does it take to be a freelancer? Um, if you could describe the word freelance or freelancer in one sentence, how would you describe that? Somebody who is free and available to work on their own terms for someone else. Mm, okay, so, so being independent on any policies and stuff like that. Huh? Yeah, so kind of uh, being your own person, um, being your own self-employed or limited company business on your own terms. Mm. Um, it's It can vary a lot, right? Because these days you'll get freelancers who end up working for the same company yeah, uh, for, for a whole year or even like two years, uh, in which case legally they're not actually a freelancer, they become a uh, contractor and um, a, a contingent worker, uh, which is a, a different legal entity. I, I would kind of put freelancers more into the realm of working with uh, lots of different clients at once. Um, that's like a kind of what I would call it a, a true freelancer people who will work on a project for maybe two hours uh, and with one <laughs> client and then uh, with another client maybe two weeks three weeks uh, maybe um, another client on a retainer uh, but normally they'll have a, a few clients so typically these would be companies who are able to uh, run limited company in the UK um, and uh, fall under different kind of tax law to a contingent worker. So when you when you talk about now what is being a freelancer, what, what would you say like, is there any particular set of skills you need to have if you want to like work for yourself or be a freelancer? Or is it pretty much to everyone who wants to be a bit more independent in their work? What do you, what do you, would you say? What kind of skill set would be necessary if you're seeking to be a freelancer? Well, I mean, typically, um, I'm talking from my own experience, but I think uh, most freelancers would be uh, in some form of service sector, either sales or marketing or um, filling in for someone else. Um, if I guess you could, you know, be a cleaner who's a freelancer. Mm. Um, so, uh, again, it comes down to uh, who you could be working for. 
Um, you could be contracted out via a third company or a second company. Um, you might be nested uh, as a like a subcontractor or a subcontractor of a contractor to a company. Um, and uh, but I mean, you know, it offers you a great amount of flexibility as mm -hmm. to uh, what you can do. You can work on your own terms. You can go on holiday whenever you want to. Sure. And when you, you have time. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, I know many freelancers are very, very good with um, kind of managing uh, the year, right? They'll literally mm -hmm. go, okay, in August, I'm going away for six weeks, regardless of what offers come in. That is it. Even if I have to drop an offer, I'm going to Brazil or I'm going to um, Australia for six weeks and that is it. All the other days of the year I can work, I don't care. Um, or some people are like, okay, well, I definitely don't work Sundays or I definitely don't work Fridays or I definitely only work remotely. Um, so a lot of people are very good with kind of being ver have, having very strict criteria um, and basically having no flexibility at all um, with those. They're like set in stone. I'm not going on holiday from X to X day. I'm not going, I'm not doing X, Y, Z if this interferes with my plan. There are other freelancers um, uh, kind of where I would probably fall in, right? Uh, if I was freelancing now, uh, which would be uh, there's work. <laughs> I'll work. If there's work, I'll work. Finally. There's work. <laughs> You know, because that work could disappear tomorrow. You know, uh, there might be another COVID, there might be another lockdown, there might be another disease, there might be um, uh, a, a rainy day where you suddenly have to take a lot of time off. Um, so I would kind of fall into that bucket if I was uh, if I was freelancing today. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a little bit. I think time management is something that a lot of people underestimate. If you being your own boss so if you have your own company or if you are a freelancer you need to have a certain set of rules for yourself uh, like uh, how much do I want to work um, how much money I want to earn uh, because in the end it's also about making money in the end so it's a bit uh, uh, um, easy also to fall into the trap of working actually too much in the end but i i, I see that definitely yeah it's, it's it's there's a lot of diversity diversification uh, about um what skill set you need and like how many times you want to go actually to holidays or not if you if, if we look to yourself now you you yeah. have an own company um where i did a bit of research um power of chi um and maybe you can explain later a little bit what they're doing um you're very active as a social manager um as well as, as a social media blogger if i'm not mistaken um you were a youtuber as well I, I saw some of your youtubes um main focus and you can correct me if i'm wrong was really about equipment for parents for the children and stuff like that um you're also being involved in uh, uh in the quickbook sessions ask an expert so where you can have like these engagements with experts about different industries uh, focus on marketing and other stuff um so you have done a lot of work by yourself i would say it so why or what was the reason for you to let me say be your own boss have your own company do really what we, what do you want to do actually in life by yourself like what where, where where did it come from what, what what was the day that you decided me quiet i want to be independent well i 
so uh, I worked agency side uh, for over a decade, right, after being, uh, like you said, a YouTuber. So I've been in this game for about 15 years now. Um, and I, I truly have been working in social media for 15 years. No, very few people can say that, right? Like most people will say, well, um, no one's worked in social media for more than say three, four, five years. Um, but I really have been doing it for 15 years. And uh, from the very beginning, I was working with influencers or uh, creating branded content on, on YouTube. Um, and then when Facebook and Twitter uh, took off uh, those platforms, and I've seen other things kind of come and go, like um, uh, Snapchat, for instance, you know, that was one where it was like super trendy and then it's kind of gone really quiet. Um, TikTok is now the kind of the in thing. But again, you know, you don't know how long how long these things will last. Reddit kind of has these peaks and troughs and, and mm -hmm. whatnot. And so I worked agency side for about a decade. And um, in that time, I worked with a lot of freelancers. And I, I was always kind of annoyed that um, these people would say report into me, but I knew they were earning a lot more money than I was. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, when when those kind of projects dragged on to say seven, eight months, uh, and I did the calculations, I was like thinking, why why wouldn't I do this? You know, why wouldn't I be earning that kind of money? Uh, why am I not taking a bigger cut um, now? Obviously, um, on the flip side, working for someone, uh, you have career progression uh, and you have the ability to uh, be in charge of people like those contractors and set the rules, right? Um, but on the other hand, being the freelancer and kind of not necessarily having to care about what your the, the, the work as much as, as uh, the person who actually is directly employed, um, they can kind of come and go. Uh, they don't have to put in maximum effort and they get paid a lot more money. Um, so after a decade of uh, working agency side, I thought, you know what? I, I spoke to my wife, I literally sat down with her. I said, you know, I run three departments at the moment. I don't really think I'm getting paid fairly. Um, my boss is a bit racist. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to call it a day and, and give this freelance thing a go. And she just said, yeah, go for it, just do it. Mm. And, and that took me by surprise. I was like, I was expecting a challenge, right? I yeah. yeah. <laughs> we married for over a decade and my wife is someone who is very uh, risk averse. Right? She's a pharmacist, she's very risk averse. She doesn't like taking any risk at all. But she was saying, well, it was a no brainer. Like, you know, if you can get paid. If, if it makes you happy, it's, it's a good idea to do it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you can work for who you want. Uh, you um, you get fifty to eighty percent more money. Um, yeah, just just go and do it if you think you can handle it. Just do it. And I was thinking, well, my plan at the time was, well, I can spend more time with my kids. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to travel into London so much. I can work a little bit uh, during the year and then spend the rest of the year off, basically, and just enjoy uh, my time. Um, what actually happened <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I handed in my notice, which was like uh, over three months. And uh, when, when I was kind of calling around all these companies and all my old contacts on LinkedIn, uh, which there are many, you know, I've got over 5,000 connections on LinkedIn. And I was going through my Twitter connections as well. And 
uh, no one was replying back to me or people were replying back and saying, well, let me know close to the time when you're kind of almost available. Uh, and I, I tell you what, as, as it was getting to about a week week to go of, uh, of my notice period, I didn't have anything. And I really thought, oh my gosh, this was the most stupid mistake I did it, yeah. <laughs> ever made. This, is the, this was so dumb. Why would I jeopardize a safe career at a big agency uh, to go and do freelance? No one even wants my skills. Even though I can do all this stuff, no one's actually ready to hire. Then, you know, all the recruiters are saying things like, oh, well, people only recruit at certain times of the year um, and you've got to try and book something for like four to five months. And then you get like little dribs and drabs here and there if you're mm -hmm. lucky. I was like, no one told me this before. <laughs> you know, before That's I not the dream that I hear about. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is this? What is this craziness? Mm -hmm. uh, but luckily, luckily, literally, um, with uh, I was I had gone one whole week of being kind of unemployed, and then literally it was just work coming in one after another, and I was like, oh, this is great. And it, it actually was so much work I had to employ someone else really quickly uh, to help me take on the work. Uh, and then um, the first thing I did, uh, the first permanent hire I made was actually somebody who recruited one of my clients, you know, who kind of got me into contact with uh, Intuit. And uh, he was working for a company called Randstad. And uh, he said, oh yeah, you know, sales is great. Um, and uh, I'm really jealous of what you're doing. And I said, well, you don't have to be jealous. Why don't you just come and work for me? And you can actually work in marketing. <laughs> Instead of working in recruitment, why don't you come this side? And, and yeah, you notched your him over, huh? <laughs> yeah, and he was like, yeah, okay. That was it, you know? So uh, it took a bit, it didn't take much convincing. I just said, look, this is so much more fun, you know? This, this is easy for you to sell in. Um, it's really, you know, just keep getting me work. Um, and uh, and you can take a cut um, and you get a salary as well and you get paid more than what you do uh, currently and it's like game on uh, and since then we've expanded to what like 10 employees now so it's it's great you know so uh, the, the agency is going really well um, and um, my biggest client into it who I made the RC expert stuff for uh, uh, end up asking me uh, to uh, work for them directly um, and, and hold a permanent position. And again, like there's this dynamic of um, kind of working for yourself and running your own entity to work for someone else. With working for someone else, you've got more control of uh, what you can do um, and you've got more control of the selling and the buy-in of projects and campaigns. Mm. Um, and I really wanted that because, you know, I really love um, crafting great work uh, before uh, I kind of went on my little solo adventure starting at a Power of Chi, um, I had already won a couple of Can Lion Awards uh, and a Wark Award and, and a few others. And uh, I really wanted to uh, be able to craft my own stuff um, and from, from the get-go uh, and not kind of go with someone else's strategy um, to, and then kind of just execute. I really wanted to have the end-to-end -end journey so I accepted so that. That, you, that you can determine a little bit, look, this is point A where we start, we want to get to point B, that you can exactly. define a little bit the road uh, where, exactly. where you want to go. Exactly. You, you then have sway, you know, you can 
you actually have a job title in an entity where you can go, hey, um, uh, I think strategically for next year we could um, do this, you know, or this mm. the, this area we could move into, uh, or this hot right now, um, but I don't feel that's the right place to go. Whereas a, really for a freelancer, you have no say, you don't, you, it's not your place to um, yeah, you, kind of- you, you execute work for someone else pretty it, much. You're you know? basically, yeah, you're basically someone else's helper, right? <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, so that was that was a key difference. Uh, so I stepped down uh, from kind of uh, running day to day. So kind of effectively going from being a, a managing director of an agency uh, to um, sitting back, being a part time CEO, uh, and allowing my guys just to carry on working and building up uh, the agency work um, and just consulting. Basically, kind of working with them almost like a consultant just steering them uh, if I think maybe, oh, okay, maybe don't do TV for that, or maybe um, uh, think about uh, uh, encapsulating uh, that strategy into something else or X, Y, Z. Um, and then I can really focus on my uh, kind of day job uh, working with Intuit, which is great. Um, and uh, so like, I'll give you an example of being, at, you know, the advantage of being full-time was uh, a few weeks ago, uh, launch a campaign on TikTok, um, but not directly as uh, into it, but working with a purposeful project um, mm -hmm. and piggybacking on someone else's campaign. And that's the kind of thing I would not have been able to uh, kind of pitch as a freelancer. You know, I wouldn't be able to go, hey, I got a great idea. Why don't we just piggyback off what someone else is doing and help? Because you have so many levels to to convince, and you need to speak to so many people. Like if you have a great idea as a freelancer, since you're not really integrated into the company um, or have like that relationship with the company, is most probably impossible huh, to bring good ideas into a company. Then huh? exactly, exactly. You know, you're you're say typically freelancers do not work on a partnership level. Mm. Most freelancers would work on a, an executional level, you know, yeah. almost like slave and master, right? If you, yeah. if you want to the be modern, modern slavery, yeah. The, the, yeah, modern it. slave and master, right? Uh, they go uh, fetch uh, and you kind of like run as fast as you can, right? Um, and then they, uh, and then you're, the only kind of role you have to kind of make stuff more flavorable is to figure out the coolest way to fetch um, and to bring it back, maybe like, polish the wood, craft it into a sculpture to hand it back, you know. Do you ever have the experience then that you um, ever undersell yourself? So for, for, for example, winning a job, um, but getting paid less than usual, was there like a period there where you said, I really need to get that work now. So I'm going with that price, for example, or yeah, did you manage so, always to stay so in the that, same level where you wanted to be? That, that first week um, that was out of work, um, literally the I I kind of groveled uh, to uh, this this recruitment company, um, and I said, look, I'll take anything, uh, and they were like, well, you were earning really good money before. Um, I don't want to kind of, I don't think you'd really be interested in this, um, and uh, it was it was working with uh, Diageo uh, to do some paid media stuff for a couple of weeks and uh, uh, so I took I took it right and and it was really low paid um, and 
uh, but it was a good experience actually, because uh, you know I helped spend a, a lot of money uh, in a couple of weeks. It sounded like, well, actually I shouldn't say because it, it's confidential. But it was a lot of money. It was a. It <laughs> be was careful. A lot, this is going to be online, huh? <laughs> like it was. Uh, you know, I, I was used to spending a lot of media money, you know, um, talking millions, right? Um, but this was like silly money. Like this was another level of silly money in social, just for social, social media, paid media. And um, I thought, actually, this is a really good experience, good exposure, working with someone else. And uh, I, I got to say, honestly, I, I don't really get on with any of those people anyway. So. Bluntly, I didn't really, I didn't like it at all. I didn't like the setup. Didn't like who I was working with, and uh, the pay really wasn't motivating at all. And <laughs> yeah. as soon as something else came in, I was like, "See ya, bye, <laughs> thanks for the work." They was were like, great, oh, something better. About, oh, like, renegotiating to have a longer-term contract, and you know, having a rolling renewal every month. I was like, <laughs> "Forget that, mate. I'm gonna go, you know, earn some real money now." Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's much easier once you actually have work. You're you're in a much stronger position to kind of go, oh okay, I got money. Um, if I if I decline something, it's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, it's not going to kill me. But if I take something, it's got to really be worth it. Um, otherwise, it's not worth it, right? So um, you, you kind of have a balance point where you go, actually. Three other companies want to pay me this much, or well, they are at the moment. Um, this fourth one doesn't want to get to that level. That's fine. You just be really nice to them and go, okay, uh, we can either do less hours or uh, kind of less work, less commitment, uh, or we just uh, maybe catch up in um, six months, one year's time to see how you are um, and see how you how you got on with whoever you end up with. Since, and, you uh, had, since you had so much um, work, let me say also now, being worked in an agency, being your own boss now, um, did you ever face that threat of like having a burnout because you had too much work, for example? Especially now that you're also um, um, studying uh, um, together with me, by the way. <laughs> um, did you ever face like that momentum where you say, okay, I have so much work, if I'm not stopping now, I'm going to face a burnout. Did you ever had that moment in your life or hasn't that well, reached you? Know, my, my first career was uh, investment banking. Um, mm. And uh, I, I would say not very much compared to that. You know, like it's very difficult running your own company, though. But it's about being able to um, delegate uh, a lot of the time out. So, uh, you know, I have staff that Intuit. I have staff in my agency. Um, but I'd say right at the beginning, well, it was really difficult because you cannot uh, just go and employ someone from, from the get-go if you don't have the cash flow. Um, Correct, but yeah. luckily I did have some cash flow. Um, but I would say, yes, it is, there are times where it's very challenging. Say, you know, there's a, a, an assignment uh, to hand in at university. There's um, three clients uh, who uh, want analytics and a report or uh, an investor pitch um, that they want your help with, uh, with, a, with a set deadline, um, and then uh, maybe uh, a huge campaign or maybe three simultaneous campaigns that you're running uh, into it. It can uh, get um, a bit much. And then with lockdown, I had my two children, my two young children at home as well. Um, 
and then my wife got sick as well at the same time. There have been times where I've had a lot on all at once and I did think, whoa, how am I going to get through this? And the simple answer is to uh, not to not think about it, um, but basically to uh, break down all the tasks and just put deadlines next to everything. And being, I guess, less harsh on yourself if you can't make it or um, uh, working with those other people to say, look, this isn't going to get done by this time, really sorry. Um, but basically got too much on right now. It's, yeah. it's not going to be possible. Um, you, need, you need to have like this courage or let me say this um, confidence to say no. I think a lot of people sometimes when they're reaching a good peak of their career um, and uh, it keeps more and more coming. I think uh, you need to you need to learn to say also no like okay I'm I'm, I'm loaded I am at my current limit at the moment and I need to focus a little bit what I'm doing now before I take anything new. Yeah, I mean even the way I study has changed a lot. I mean uh, I remember my first module I probably overstudied um, to compensate for having not studied for like 20 years. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I really, I really studied really hard. I got a distinction in my first module. And then um, after that, I was so busy. I was running so many campaigns um, and doing so much stressful stuff. Um, and uh, I had a COVID jab uh, during my second module, which absolutely killed me. Um, I had uh, a racist neighbor who was going around the neighborhood telling everybody um, our family had spread COVID to, uh, to everyone. Was it, was it um, that bad for you? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, it's, it's, that sounds, you know, sorry to hear, huh? I didn't know Yeah, it's, it's really bad. Like, you know, I've had to report people to the police um, and uh, the same neighbor tried to run over one of my uh, builders. Um, uh, it, it, it's absolutely insane, honestly. It's um, it's kind of sick, really, that uh, people think that way. Um, but um, there are times where everything gets very, very, very stressful. Um, but I've I've been through so many stressful situations mm. that I always know that I have always I always know in the back of my head that I can get through it because I've done it before. Um, there's always been a there's always been a time that's probably harder where I've got through it. Um, I, the biggest one being delivering my own son. Like I, I delivered my uh, son uh, at our home um, uh, when we lived in Crawley. Uh, delivered them in my in our bathroom because uh, the uh, paramedics did not uh, come out in time and uh nothing in my life has been as difficult as that you know that was like it's something that you normally as a let me say as a male uh very rarely engage except you work maybe in the health industry i have huge respect for that definitely <laughs> yeah i mean i remember you know uh kind of having expectations that i was going to have to step up again from uh, when my daughter was born but you know alas it was like uh, on the scheduled day, mm. in the hospital. Um, you can drink wife. your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I had to do was hold my wife's hand. <laughs> it, felt, it just felt like pointless. I, not pointless, but for, for me, like the um, the involvement level was, mm. was nothing. Like 
I was, you know, I was just holding the hand, going, everything's going to be all right. Um, my wife just had uh, gas and air, delivered a baby. I was like, oh, what, what do I need to do? Oh, I can cut an umbilical cord. Okay, all right then. <laughs> you know, compared to the stress of actually delivering a baby in your hands, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really hope in, in when I ever will have the pleasure to be a dad or a parent, that I don't need to experience it, but I think uh, it's a life lesson, I would say. Yeah, that take, you and take all those antenatal classes, watch all the labor videos, <laughs> so you know what to expect. <laughs> then, you know, like, if I hadn't watched it, I would probably, I would, like, I would have, I, I, it would have been a lot more difficult. It was difficult anyway, right? Yeah. Literally, nothing in my life has been as difficult as that, honestly. And uh, because I just didn't know the stuff. You know? No, and I, I think it's 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 uh you know life is life is um um how would you say that you don't know what happened in your what's going to happen in your life. It's not like people are saying uh, your life is already already written in a book um, and you don't have any influence. I think it's a bit the opposite. Uh, you actually never know what's going to happen in the next second, next minute, next hour, or next uh, day. And I think that's where a lot of people need to understand you can plan a lot of things but in the end you need to also learn to uh yeah be prepared for the unprepared huh? kind of like adapt that. adapt, adapt die. exactly yeah, or adapt, adapt and let someone else die right like yeah, yeah. uh that, that was kind of the situation i've been in many times right um but uh, in terms of work no one's gonna die <laughs> you know like if you I mean, there are there are industries. Uh, if, I mean, I I I I work currently in an industry where, unfortunately, uh, we have uh, uh, in certain companies still people when they um, installing something or something like that, they unfortunately die. Yeah, because um, in the construction industry, you can have a lot of safety measures. You can have a lot of focus on um, being prepared for the worst case there's always like this slim chance that something can go wrong. And unfortunately, it's still happening because so many people are working on the construction side. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's something that maybe a lot of people in the office are not conscious of, uh, certainly myself as well. But uh, it's a bit unfortunate that things are like that happen. But when we're talking about now, um, let me say that the path that you have took and the difficulties that you have faced already uh, in your life um about the topic that we just talked about before uh, being your own boss now what is your biggest motivation would you say like what's your biggest motivation when you stand up and say i'm gonna give my best now 120 percent now uh this day well for a start you can't give 120 percent you can only give a, <laughs> you can't even give 100 percent. you know if you're being very honest with yourself um, you can probably only give what, like, you know, 60, 70%. There are so many things in your life that uh, take precedent, um, like uh, eating, sleeping, um, uh, looking after children, uh, a family, uh, looking after your dog, or um, uh, kind of taking care of yourself, going to the gym. So, you know, when I hear these things, like, uh, are you going to give it 120%? These things don't really exist. Uh, they're all like um, they're, they're motivational things to say, um, yeah. but 
they they are not really physically, physically not possible yeah they're, they're not physically possible and they're, they're not realistic um i certainly don't give 120 percent per day right um the key thing i look at is kind of again just breaking things down and um the my end goal is to uh, basically get recognized for doing great work um and uh i kind of I have a, a, an innate nature to uh, compete, right? And uh, I want to be known as the very best social media marketer ever. Um, and I, I strive for that. Um, and the only way you can kind of um, get recognized for that in the marketing industry is to win awards. And so my, my goal uh, is to win at least 100 awards uh, before I retire. I'm on 25, so I'm not doing too badly. Um, I won 17 of those last year. So, um, you know, I, there are times where I kind of think, what is this all for? Am I just doing it for money? Well, I have money, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I have enough money to live on to be happy. Um, I don't really need to want for anything. Um, I have everything I want. I uh, got a nice car, got a nice house, wonderful it's a wife. A bit about what, what's your gonna be, what's gonna be your legacy? Huh? I think um, as soon as you reach a certain peak financially, it's not about how much more you can earn. It's a bit more okay. How how can you make an impact in the society? How actually people will uh, perceive you in the end? Huh? Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, so I think yeah, legacy. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I guess. You know, I, I work with a lot of uh, multimillionaires um, on uh, Ask the Expert. People who have uh, founded and sold um, their companies. Uh, those people who have uh, kind of really gone through the, the rough of it for several years, maybe decades, uh, sold their company um, and uh, suddenly had a lot of wealth. And then a lot of them say things like, oh yeah, now I'm gonna retire. Uh, and then when I actually track what they end up doing is uh, the opposite. They end up doing more. They end yeah. up doing more than they yeah. do. Because yeah. there's always that need, you know, if you've gone through and you've worked like 20 years working your ass off, it's I very mean, the, 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 word, the word retiring is not is such a young word, actually. Yeah, I started, um, and I'm guessing here a bit in the late 18s, uh, beginning 19s, like, that you actually only need to work, let me say, a certain amount of years and then the rest of your life, uh, you can enjoy life. Uh, is a little bit, it's is weird from a human nature perspective. Huh? I think um, after you have done your bit of, of working and you just say to yourself, I'm not going to do anything anymore for the next 20 to 30 years, it's ain't gonna happen. Huh? You're always going to do something. If it's for yourself, if it's for your family, if it's for other people, or making actually an impact in the society. I think it's something that I personally, I always believe, like I will work until I'm 80. Um, I hope not, but I have a bit I, the assumption it will be like that. But I always, always say, well, like if I just do stuff that I actually like, it's not work. I, I wouldn't view that as work. I would view that more as... Um, well, I, I, I do the stuff that I like and at the same time I get paid for that. Well, that's a that's a dream world. Uh, that's what I would like to do. Would you, would you say that's a bit in a similar way uh, that we in the future? Yeah, will... I guess. 
so you know like uh, when i was growing up uh, i didn't really see my dad very much because uh, he was working you know like 20 hour days seven days a week uh, in a restaurant and uh, you know hospitality industry is uh, incredibly tough especially if you're running one if you're running a venture you're running books you're uh, running um you're going to the market you're actually ceo cfo and uh, uh, the cmo uh, chief marketing operator all at the same time huh? yeah exactly front of house back of house you're running the whole thing the whole show and um you know you're at the market in the morning uh, you're reconciling finances in the evening you know after everything's sharp shop um you become the cleaner you know <laughs> after everyone's gone it's, it's a very difficult job and uh, i guess um, you know, my, my dad always told me, you know, you can't go into this industry. You either should either become a doctor, lawyer, or an accountant. Uh, I ignored all of those um, things uh, and uh, went a kind of a fourth or fifth way. Um, <laughs> and uh, I started off in investment banking uh, after studying astrophysics. And uh, well, what what's that with the astrophysics? I think um, I asked you that question before, but. How do you come from investment banking into astrophysics? Uh, it was the other way around. So, uh, oh, sorry, astrophysics, so I, I into, astrophysics into investment banking. <laughs> so I studied astrophysics to go and work in banking. So uh, when I was in the sixth form, uh, I had this crazy um, uh, professor kind of dude, you know, like think mad professor. He used to literally <laughs> come in in like the white jacket with the mad uh, gray hair. Uh, with the little spectacles, um, you know, kind of like a, a thin version of Albert Einstein. He used to walk in um, and he was really, he was a great teacher of physics, he really loved it, right? And it made, he made it really interesting. And uh, the thing that uh, uh, stuck out was um, this one time he said, um, listen guys, here's a newspaper, front page, physics is great because it allows you uh, to demonstrate that you can apply mathematics to any given situation. And uh, in the investment banking industry, they are looking for physicists and paying over a million pounds um, per year to um, physicists to go and work at investment bank. I was like, that is my career. <laughs> that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to study That's physics. That's what I'm going to do now. Thank you, Mr. Professor. <laughs> I'm going to go study physics at uni, and then I'm going to go work in investment bank. So my first year, I, um, to make things more interesting, because physics is really boring. Um, no, sorry to any physicists listening, but <laughs> physics is really, really boring as an actual subject. It's very mathematical. Um, you have to be really into it, like to really love it. And uh, one bit that kind of made it more interesting and less boring was um, the uh, astro bit of physics. And so that's why I applied to do astrophysics. And um, uh, it was still really boring. <laughs> so after I, I, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's. It's interesting from a physics perspective, but I think, uh, yeah, there is, uh, I, I, I see your point with the board. It, it's it's, it's not as agile as it can if, be. Uh, yeah, if yeah. you're reading stuff in a magazine or uh, you read a, uh, an easy book like Brief History of Time, 
can go, oh, wow, that's inspirational. Look at what's out there. Actually, actually Look at what it. could have been. Have um, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. So, so, oh, look what could have been. Oh, wow. This is how life started. Oh, that's amazing. All of that stuff is covered in the first week of the degree. <laughs> like, one first week. I'm like, oh, no. What are we going to cover now? And I'd now say, now the numbers are coming. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. now it's just maths. Then it was just maths. It was just maths. Maths after maths. It's like, okay, so uh, if you are um, a Klingon ship, uh, I had a professor who was really into Star Trek. If you're a Klingon ship, uh, work out where you're going to land on this planet. Um, uh, if you orbit the, uh, uh, if you orbit using this arc uh, around uh, around the star, it's really boring, <laughs> honestly. Like, okay, so I have to use a program, I have to use Fortran or MATLAB, I have to put in this simulation to figure out where I'm going to land on this planet of this theoretical star of this theoretical planet. Both of which don't really exist. <laughs> you, need to, you need to have a lot of imagination, I believe. Yeah, I hated it, honestly. Yeah. So, when uh, I remember I moved in with my uh, brother in law first summer, my first summer off, and um, uh, the first thing I did was try and find work for a summer job. I tried selling milk door to door, and I was rubbish at that. Um, because I knew that no one wanted to buy milk when they lived opposite Tesco, <laughs> you know, or, or opposite uh, uh, a <laughs> garage where they could just go and buy milk, literally just walk across the road, buy some milk. Like they were like, oh, but no one um, can uh, kind of sell milk around this area. So uh, if used, you can used sell to be milk a big thing, used to be a big thing. I, 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 I remember when I used to live in Germany. Like every Sunday or Monday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you had like uh, four cans of milk that you can use for a week. And then on Saturday or Sunday, the next time when he comes back, uh, you give him the empty one and you get then the new one again. But uh, you, you, you're right. I mean, today you go I to the and Honestly, you have to... <laughs> I was like, what, what was the point of this? Like, literally, everyone was going, you see that over there? That's, uh, that's Tesco's, right? I can just, it's quite easy for me just to walk across, literally walk across the road. And buy quickly the milk, milk for them. Uh. Um, I mean, this was pre-delivery days. It must be even worse now to try and sell door-to-door -door milk because you, you can get uh, all your stuff delivered to your house for nothing, right? So, I mean, that, 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 that I'm, I don't know how is it with you, but I'm, I'm, I got so lazy now buying stuff online like Deliveroo I have Deliveroo Plus because I have so many deliveries now like for example if you need to get now something from Tesco you know you want to cook something or you don't want to drive there and stuff like that well yeah use Deliveroo get Tesco stuff uh, or Sainsbury's get it here I mean in 10 years I believe I, I not think, even I think, you know in, in the next few years as uh, these companies um, focus on sustainability um, oh. and start driving around in Teslas and um, I think it'll be great, you know. I then won't kind of feel bad uh, environmentally about spending uh, the extra money or whatever for, for somebody to come and deliver your stuff or the subscription, like you said, you deliver mm. it. But anyway, after I sold milk, I then um, uh, worked at Visa for like uh, two days and I was really lazy. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was like doing some admin stuff and it was data entry. I was really, really boring. Um, and uh, all I had to do was 
uh, I thought, well, I'm here to kind of make tea. So basically, all day long, I just kept asking uh, all the staff whether they wanted tea or not, and I just went and made tea. Because all the data entry stuff was really easy. Um, mm. After two days, even though I'd completed all the tasks, they were like, this geezer, all he does is make tea. I was like, I completed all your tasks already. It was so easy. And there, were, and there was nothing else to do. <laughs> this geezer makes tea the whole day. <laughs> uh, so uh, so they were like, well, this geezer, he still only makes tea. Let's, let's not have him around. So after that, I thought, right, I'm going to get my friend next job I get. I'm really going to go go all out. I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm not making anyone tea unless I really have to. Um, and then I'm just <laughs> instead of just doing what I need to do, I'm going to do extra, uh, and I'm going to keep asking for more work even when none exists. Or I'm going to make work even when none exists. I'm going to think mm -hmm. up a new idea. I'm going to do something. Uh, and the next place I worked at was UBS Capital which is a private venture capital arm of UBS. Uh, back then it was UBS Wahlberg, uh, which uh, is a Swiss investment bank. Yeah, and I'm. Uh, I actually have uh, one bank account of UBS in Switzerland still. Uh, where's my pension? I think going in. So, uh, very famous company in Switzerland. <laughs> so that was it. Um, you know, that was my start of banking. Uh, the start of my uh, six years in banking. Uh, I did exactly what I said I would do. Uh, I wouldn't get my ass fired, um, uh, you know, from a kind of a one week temporary stint. Uh, I expanded uh, that gig to six months uh, and then uh, I then worked at uh, State State Street. No, Commerce Bank, Commerce mm -hmm. Bank, a German bank. Yeah, Commerce um, Bank. Yeah. Uh, and that was really cool. So then I kind of just worked around uh, and that took me everywhere. Uh, I worked around the world with that, uh, with investment banking. And I gave that up, became an actor, because um, uh, I, I actually really hated banking. <laughs> it turns out that... I mean, it, get, it gets very, I assume, and you can correct me, it gets very monotone and dry with time, huh? Oh, it's really boring. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, uh, I, I, I love working with numbers, right? Don't get me wrong. Mm. But it's when you're kind of working with the same data set, all the time uh, it then gets really boring you know uh, if you're looking at trade you're only looking at a certain niche of trade so that you become the ultimate expert in in that niche um and then it just gets really boring you know something's going to do well you know something's going to tank you know that uh, somebody's going to come and have a go at you when stuff tanks mm. even though it's not out of your control there's a marketplace there's a free market and stuff yeah. <laughs> sometimes happens that make makes a, a downward trend uh, which is out of your control if we uh, if then, we look if we if we look now into your like we say history yeah like literally yeah. we i think we went through the whole career steps that anyone can take yeah? astrophysics then investment banking and being really in uh, let me say an actor huh? in between also yeah. and then uh, working in agency being your own boss focusing the whole time on social media um if we have a look on the whole path what would you say was your biggest achievement and how did you feel about that in general um i guess it was uh, uh working on the david attenborough uh copa 24 campaign for the united nations um that was to really raise awareness of climate change mm -hmm. um and uh it was very effective you know um 
we got that topic trending worldwide um, on pretty much, it got covered by every single major news outlet in the entire world. Um, and uh, that is quite some achievement. Like Definitely. that was, um, that will probably be something that I won't necessarily be remembered for because you know that you're always kind of part of a team but um that's the thing that i'm most proud of uh, kind of being part of it was um it was a huge challenge i did all that work in my spare time um because i, I already had a full uh, agenda uh, during the day during my pack day um and uh, this was seen as like a almost like a pro bono kind of work um from an agency's perspective um, but I just thought, you know, this could literally help change the world. This, if we get this campaign right, uh, we can really raise awareness. I, I mean, at that point, I wasn't educated myself on climate change. I thought I knew enough. I thought I'd seen it all with all the Al Gore stuff in the past. Um, but I didn't know things like... I think um, that, that was the time where, where it started to really... I mean, the topic climate change is a is an old topic actually already. Yeah, and uh, I think with Al Gore making it very public, started. But I think um, it becomes more. Do you think that you think that that we actually do something about climate change today? Uh, since I mean, everyone watches. So I definitely uh, feel it. I definitely yeah. feel that was a real kickstart. You know, it really felt like it's not. It's never kind of cited right in stuff but if you look back at that particular single point before that particular single point we were drinking out of plastic straws we were um uh, all our earbuds were made out of plastic uh, people didn't care about the oceans um greta was just a schoolgirl um studying probably right um after that point it really kick-started everything um and i guess a lot of people go and kind of go oh well Greta started it all off and uh, it then became a big thing but there had to be something there there had to be a foundation and there had to be a yeah, place of right. knowledge um before that and I really felt like our time our campaign really kind of helped set that into stone um by trending worldwide um even if you didn't know anything about it you saw it and suddenly you were kind of aware of some of the facets of it at least and it suddenly became at least slightly important in your life mm. uh, and now since then you know the world has totally changed um, from uh, you know kind of getting rid of uh, internal combustion engine cars um, pretty much every most countries most developed countries in the world banning them uh, at some point in the future quite near future if you think about how the for, for, for the car industry i mean uh, the uk is a good example that until 2030 if i'm not mistaken you're not allowed to produce any car anymore with combustion yeah, engine i mean for, for for from a development cycle of a car that's very early yeah that's next week yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's very soon right um and uh, i remember when they the the government would say things like that and the, the car industry would kick up a fuss but you know what um it's just to sell cars basically you know it's kind of, mm. they were already in development all the electric cars they they knew from that time on they had to um uh, uh, shift gears uh, and and uh, change lanes and that's exactly what's happened and it's amazing you know i think um 
all, all these initiatives to kind of get charged more to go into city centres and stuff in the past would have been seen as um, a cynical way for governments to make money, but now actually seen as um, if you don't, if you don't do that, you you not destroy our children's lives, their futures. Yeah. And I think I think um, you hit on a good point there that um, the whole sustainability. Obviously, we focus on the environment here to 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 give our children the future that they actually deserve. But I think it gets influenced more and more about money. Like if you don't focus on sustainability, let's say as a company um or uh, as an industry um you will actually lose out money out of that uh? so being sustainable is not being like oh i'm like the green guy uh it's about like hey i'm, I'm a profitable company in the end uh? and i think a lot of um i would say a lot of companies still have to get on that train but i think uh, being sustainable mean being actually successful and profitable would you agree on that or yeah i, I think it's really important that I remember um, there was a lot of cynicism around Al Gore, you know, after um, he uh, uh, did his documentary, mm. he um, then went and invested a lot of money into green tech companies. And people were like, well, he's only uh, talking about climate change because he's got uh, skin in the game. But it's like, actually, wouldn't you put skin in the game if you uh, wanted to back it, if you want to make a difference? You would put your skin in the game, right? Yeah, so yeah, there was I'm, this kind of that's how it works. So. <laughs> yeah, so there was this like dynamic where um, it was uh, an excuse for people not to kind of uh, invest in this area. But you can definitely see um, the upside of all of this. Like in the UK, we have um, we now use more renewable energy than any other type of energy source, which is amazing. Mm. You know, from five years ago when people were kind of anti-wind farm or anti-solar um, to uh, now actually relying on it. We're, we actually rely on wind power. And how great is it that, you know, the worst that could happen is that a, a fan a windmill stops running. Uh, we don't have to worry so much about nuclear waste or a plant that uh, we have to kind of quarantine a village around for say the next 300 years because of nuclear contamination. We'd have to worry about that with renewable energy. And it's, you know, long-term it's kind of free once you've solved like how windmills won't go um, defunct or uh, solar panels won't be so inefficient over time mm. um, or the inverters become um, much better in future. Uh, you just kind of think, our future is really bright, you know, our future is, is so if we, if we If we keep working on it and do what is actually required from us, I think, uh, yeah, we're always talking about the doomsday scenario and stuff like that. But I think what you mentioned there is really that people are investing in it. And uh, five years ago, the picture looked very, very different. Um, I always explain like Tesla's purpose is not like being the best car industry company which i kind of are at the moment which is funny yeah but it's about like making that big change in the industry because the all, all what elon musk i think was saying is like he supports every company that makes an electric car because that's what we need to do huh? <laughs> we need to stop making combustion engines and stuff like that but uh yeah we, we, we will right. get there and you know the the accidental um benefit 
of um, speeding up development in uh, in this area in green tech uh, is that you accidentally overtake existing tech um, and quite quickly you look at solar panels made today um, the efficiency of them the inverters that are used versus 10 years ago there's no no comparison whatsoever you can um, a solar panel the size of an iPhone uh, can now convert more electricity than a, a huge panel that uh, is bigger than I, I can reach um, in 10 years ago. Mm. Now that's incredible um, movement in technology, that's incredible progress. And you can think like in 10, 20 years time, uh, we, we won't have to depend on anything anymore. Like, literally things like cars, you know, we they always joke about, oh, well, solar panels on cars, how pointless is that? Actually, you look at the speed of development in 20 years' time. Realistically, you could literally have cars that are powered just by a solar panel, just on the top of their own vehicle. Um, with, do, with do you think? Do you think that um, let me say younger people who are seeking, let me say, a career or wants to be uh, successful have that drive for? Um, let me say sustainable products after price for sustainable technology think how can you make the, the the world better would you would you recommend like have this like mindset like yeah the money part is important huh? um then you can do astrophysics and then investment banking <laughs> but <laughs> have this focus on let me say like uh, hey what, what what can you give to the earth uh, 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 um, to really make that 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 impact, because the money will come. I'm pretty sure about that. Would, would you say like? Yeah, I agree. I think focus focus a little bit more on that than just like you, you on just the money part. Kind itself. of uh, trend in uh, industry, right? You you have kind of industrial revolution. You had um, uh, in the past. Uh, you had development of things like tools um, for the first time. Um, those are kind of tipping points uh, that will kind of drive uh, society in one direction, it, for better or worse. You know, with tools come weapons, comes warfare. Uh, with industry um, comes um, uh, more opportunities for the everyday person to uh, create wealth um, and. Uh, creates a more uniform society of wealth. Mm. Uh, it also um, creates uh, more opportunity for uh, the the people kind of who don't have money to stay not having money, to not progress, uh, and adversely those with money to uh, continue making more of industry. Uh, so, you know, there, there are yin and yangs to all of this stuff. With green tech, um, you have to be able to be able to make money from it for people to be interested in, in investing in it. Um, but I do believe that um, the output will be uh, really beneficial for the human race. I think in the future, you, if you if you think about, uh, ex, you know, thinking very far ahead, uh, <laughs> the Earth could be broken up by uh, an asteroid event um you know like an extinction level event uh, in the future maybe a long way off maybe around the corner uh hopefully it's a long way off but 
by then, wouldn't it be great if uh, we did have a colony elsewhere um, in the universe, the technology um, to, uh, to thrive elsewhere? Um, in order to do those things, you have to have technology like we're developing now. You have to be able to have vehicles that um, are basically self-powered or powered by solar or by something else other than something that you don't have to mine from a particular um, resource. Uh... Yeah, because you need something that is resource neutral or easy to get hold of wherever you are in the universe. Um, so if we are to travel further afield in the future, if we are to explore beyond our own borders, i.e. Earth, not kind of talking to another country, um, then you do need to have this kind of technology. You do need to um, uh, take it to the next level. You know, you, you people joke and you can look at things like Star Trek and things like that um, and go, oh, well, well we're going to have a, a space thing in, in the universe and uh, people are going to live there and things. Well, most likely, you know. Most those, likely it's going to be the case. Yeah, yeah most likely. Most, those are probably going to happen in the future. And, and you know, uh, it's funny because people think of things like Star Trek is so far off in reality. But actually, a lot of their science is based on stuff that we know now that could happen. You know, they look at branches of mm. uh, what could happen in the future. And then they form stories backwards from that. They attach it to something political to create a, a story yeah. up. Um, but there is a scientific basis to kind of all this sci-fi stuff, right? There is a literally a scientific um, option, like, oh, uh, this new material where uh, nothing can penetrate it. Uh, oh, well, graphene. You know, oh, we, we've got mm. graphene now. Uh, oh, and it's actually quite cheap to develop. All you need is a pencil, crush it up, stick it in a washing machine with your clothes, stick it on a spin cycle, and away you have graphene-coated uh, clothing. Who would have known that 10 years ago, you know? If you don't try, you never know, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, great, great. I think it's uh, it's it's interesting to see where where the world is going, and it's interesting to see what. Um, let me say, I would always uh, say like a hundred years from now, uh, um, we never know how the world will look. If we look back a hundred years ago, I think. Uh, during uh, uh, um, just after after the first world war, I think a lot of people had a different perspective uh, how the world will go on. Unfortunately, second world war happened then, but uh, yeah, we will see. I think it's uh, it's an interesting journey where we were going, and uh, we have to see. Um, if we take now all those topics, uh, so being a freelancer, being uh, learning astrophysics, then going into investment banking, having your own company, being a, a very well recognized social media expert, as well also a, a, a manager, what advice would you give to someone when he finished school, uh, he did his uh, learnings in school he knows the academical ways uh, never worked before though unfortunately uh, what advice would you give him like um, be a freelancer work in a company simple. i would uh, it's very simple anyone can gain experience if they actually try um now i started up uh, my youtube channel not to get into marketing it was just to um 
build my own community and mm -hmm. uh, uh, to find an outlet to express myself. Um, now, uh, originally it was a, a vlog, right? I used to vlog every day. Um, and I've got over 500 videos on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've got to say, like, although I end up uh, uh, focusing on uh, reviewing parent products and things like that, uh, there's a there's a fundamental amount of knowledge that you gain from running a channel a bit like running a business if you run mm -hmm. a business you know so much more about a business than somebody who's never run a business before uh, a small business owns because uh, you have to do the finances you have to do the reconciliation you have to look at um, the VAT returns you have to understand little legal aspects you have to understand HR you have to uh, understand marketing, you have to understand sales um, and you have to probably do most of that stuff yourself when you first start off and um, so there's a fundamental amount of knowledge that you gain from actually trying something out so I would say um, especially if you're doing something like marketing um, social media is great for just experimenting and trying something out and you can do this while you're a student um, you can go and hassle brands and go, hey, look at my wonderful new TikTok channel. And this is what I specialize in. I'd love to partner with you on stuff um, and uh, collaborate uh, where I make content for you. Um, or oh, give me a little side project for me to work on and I'll, I'll use my channel for it. Um, and do that enough. Uh, you build up enough of a following and you demonstrate that you know how to build a community and then you're highly sought after and um, by the time you finish your degree. Uh, if you want to um, think about starting a, a business after you finish, then demonstrate you know how to run a business before you get to that stage um, by getting some exposure. I'm not mm. talking about these internship programs where um, somebody sets it all up for you. I'm talking about going and hustling yourself. If you can pick up a phone and you need to learn to hustle huh? <laughs> you have to yeah learn how to hustle if you know how to hustle you're more likely to make it you know it's very difficult 90 percent of all new businesses fail in the first year 90 percent nine out of ten and um most likely if you if one of these graduates goes out and does something uh, it'll probably be much higher than nine out of ten it'll, the the failure rate uh, you know, um, I guess the success rate normally is from those uh, kind of popping up that one out of ten are from those who've a lot more experience and um, those who are doing stuff in their 40s, uh, 50s, who know an industry incredibly well before actually starting up. They kind of prop up that number. But I imagine the kind of the true number, especially uh, among young startups, it must be like 99% failure rate. It's very, very high. Okay, so to make it, you need to learn some real life skills beforehand. I would say it's, it's very difficult to make it at the very beginning. I'm not saying it can't be done because you no. could always do that one out of a hundred. But I would say, look, there has to be a certain level of work ethic. There has to be a certain level of hustling, pivoting, um, stubbornness as well. You know, on, on the other hand. Um, and those things you develop through experience and um, those are not generally things you can kind of work out on the fly 
Um, if you're surrounded by, say, other graduates, if you've gone to business with them, you're surrounded with other people with no experience um, of these things, and it becomes very, very difficult. And that's why, you know, when you come up against um, people with a lot of experience, people who've been around the block for 20, 30, 40 years, who've made it, um, these new startups are nowhere in the same kind of ballpark. They're not in the same caliber, unless that idea is amazing. Sometimes that stubbornness and that stubbornness of that idea can help them become a unicorn company, like a Facebook. Mm. But even those guys, you look at the work ethic, it's incredible. Uh, you know, you look at um, uh, the founders of Tinder, Uber, Facebook, Google, the work ethic is out of this stratosphere. Those guys are working all the time for at the beginning of the journey for nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, and it's all about future off management. It's all about the belief that they have that their product will work or the service will 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 go into the next level at some point. That's, I think I think you yeah, believing believing in the product and services is what you need to do. If you do if you do something and you don't believe it. I would rather recommend don't do it. Uh, think Absolutely. What don't do it. If you don't believe it, if you're kind of doing it for money, then don't do it because you yeah. will have no money. I, you know, uh, I, the wealthiest people that I know uh, have gone through long periods of earning almost nothing, of struggling. Uh, Joanna Jensen, uh, who started up Child's Farm, um, sold her wedding ring. Um, and remortgage her house to pay her staff um, when she had cash flow issues. That is hard. That is hard, right? It's very hard running a business successfully. I would say go get experience. Do your own thing. There are so many things that you could try. Um, if you want to start running your own business, do a side hustle. Um, make stuff off and sell it on Etsy. Buy stuff cheap um, and then sell it on eBay for more. Um, and figure out how to make that a successful business. Mm -hmm. If you have those qualities, you've got enough hustle to make it in pretty much any career you, you want to lend your hand to. Um, if not, which is most people, um, then you kind of just got to go with the flow and uh, your, your fate is in the hands of others. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never like my fate in the hands of others. I like to make my own fate where possible. Uh, so when I didn't know much about Instagram, um, I basically started uh, making lots of different content about lots of different things. I started off taking photos around London. If you go on the Real Kwai Chi, you can see literally at the very bottom of the feed are just photos of London landscapes. <laughs> they bombed, right? Like no one viewed them, no one cared. As soon as uh, I went to the Ritz for um, a little investment launch, uh, they had all these nice little canapes out and they were beautifully presented. So I took pictures of these. I did like 20 Instagram posts in one night. All of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. Light, 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 light. And my feed was going insane. I was like, there's something in this. And I developed mm -hmm. that. And then uh, I became the UK's uh, number one most engaged uh, restaurant um, Instagrammer in the UK. So oh, that's great. Um, so, so guys, I learn to hustle, it. huh? Learn I stuck hustle. at it. I made that. <laughs> I made content every single day for like four years um, to get to that point. It, every overnight success only takes four years, right? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, 
can, can take longer. Yeah. Huh? Can it take can shorter. Take longer as well, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like all these overnight successes, all these great singers, they didn't spend a lifetime with you know doing music lessons and and singing lessons, right? No, they just became great singers overnight. It, it's the same thing. There's you hone your craft, you hone what you know, you um, get an idea of how to. Um, uh, engage with the community, build a community, stick with that community, stay with them, get them interested, and that will get you far in something like social media. But that there's equivalent in almost every industry that you can think of. There's al there's always some sort of experience that you can muster up yourself, and it's not that hard to think about. If you really love that industry or you really want to get into that industry, it won't take you long to figure out a route. Mm. Um, but most people won't be bothered. Most people will spend that spare time watching Netflix, watching Amazon Prime, um, <laughs> watching podcasts like this. Um, <laughs> Um, or, or just well, you know, you, reading, if you if you if you're listening, it, you get some real good advice from someone here today. So you don't you don't waste your time, huh? <laughs> no, no, I would say of all, all things actually that are absolutely not a waste of time is listening to those who have been successful, mm. like those um, with experience and knowledge. Never discount that because a lot of people do. Um, but the one thing that very successful people. Um, do is listen to uh, experience like if you look at Mark Zuckerberg a lot of people think he, oh, he was a stubborn kid worked all hours and and uh, built up this thing called Facebook but if you look at the very early investors in Facebook like Peter Thiel um, Microsoft very experienced people Warren Buffett have staff seen something there well, which other people haven't seen okay um, quite I give you the last words and okay. uh, keep, you need to keep it short. Huh? Um, okay. um, well, we'll be short if it's one word. <laughs> no, in one sentence. In one, one sentence. sentence okay. Um, okay. If I am now um, a listener of, of this episode, of this podcast, and I, I, I want to be successful, how do I become successful? I would say your fate is in your own hands. Deliver your own freedom by practicing what you preach.